everybody, welcome to episode 112 of Literary Disco, Poets, Poets, and More Poets. A few months ago, we asked our listeners for some suggestions, and you posted amazing suggestions to our Facebook page. So we took some of your recommendations, most of whom we had never heard of, and today, and on our next episode as well, we will discuss seven poets. Today, we're going to be discussing three of them, in no particular order, Gary Jackson, Naomi Shihab Nye, and Rupi Kaur. And we're going to link to their poems on our websites and our Facebook page so you can read along. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Yeah, it's so good to see you guys again. Wow. How long it's been. It's been, let's see, it's been, well, we haven't stopped talking. If you're listening to this episode after the episode where we talked about Sam Shepard, all we did was pee in between. No, All then we gossiped. we gossiped. We gossiped about ourselves. Gossip. Yeah. yeah, a lot of gossip. I tell you, there's some shit going on in the world right now, people. Yeah. That's all we can say. Um, <laughs> so let's dive right in, guys. Um, let's okay. start with uh, Gary Jackson and his poem, Magneto Eyes Strange Fruit, which was recommended to us by our listener, Jackie Smith. So um, I had never heard of Gary Jackson. Had you guys heard of Gary? I had not ever heard no. of him. No. You know what's amazing, actually? Almost all of these poets are super young. Like, mm-hmm. everybody that was recommended to us is, like, under the age of 30, I swear. Uh, so Gary Jackson um, is from Kansas, and he received his bachelor's in 2004 from Washburn University. So that makes him probably right around my age, I guess, or a little bit younger than me. Um, so, so 2004? 30. So... Yeah. If he graduated with a BA at the at normal rate, he was 22, and and so he's yeah. 34, 35, yeah, something like exactly. that. Yeah, uh, exactly. He got his MFA from the University of New Mexico, and he is now working at the College of Charleston. Um, so this poem, um, wh- what do you guys want to do? Should we just read it? Or Yeah, let's just yeah read it. it's nice and sharp. All right, you read it. Somebody... I'll read it. Go. All right, it's called Magneto Eyes Strange Fruit. Out for a midnight flight, I see two children on the playground, the rust of blood crusting over holes in their heads. Their brown bodies dance like marionettes, tangled in the swings. Muty is scrawled across the cardboard that hangs from their swollen necks, the chains wrapped tight enough to tear. I imagine what they did, maybe the ability to turn glass into sand, to hear rustled leaves as words, something simple, something humans kill for. I reach out, close the girl's eyes, and suddenly I want to rip every man out of his home, make each one burn, reverse the Earth's rotation, rupture the core, and tear this planet inside out, only so they can know how it feels. It's been so long since I've taught people how to fear, since I've raised their cities, bent steel, and split iron into handfuls of dust, but someone must be the villain for the dead. Hmm. It's such a strange thing because it's it's x-men fan fiction and right. it's an amazing <laughs> exactly. poem it's exactly. an absolutely amazing poem right and then of course by saying strange fruit mm-hmm. he connects it to the song strange fruit which is you know the very famous song about lynching so it has this extra sort of political yeah. uh african-american history element you know overlaid onto this reading of a comic book um yeah, it's, like on the link that that um, I sent to you guys, that I'm assuming we're all reading it from. It actually has commentary from the author. Yes, um, very so interested can, in if that. If you click on the first line, 
he has a little note that he added. It says, what can I say? This poem is a riff on the first four pages of the graphic novel X-Men God Loves, Man Kills. Reading this as a kid changed my view of both worlds, comics and the world we live in. I felt like I owed that 12-year-old me a gift to send back in time. And I just, it's, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting project. And um, like when I found that out, when I read that note, I was like, oh, okay. Because I didn't know what I was reading at first. I was like, am right. I... Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, is this like a, I, I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around, like, are we supposed to be reading this metaphorically as like, I'm out for a midnight, is it actually Magneto? Like, what, is this a reference to Magneto or, um, but no, to see that he basically was, yeah, like you're saying, it's like fan fiction, poetry, fiction, poetry. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, poetry. It, it's I, a, a combining of, you know, it, you know what it is? It, it's allowing entry into obviously a, a, a a dark, deep, horrible aspect of American culture, which is the lynching of African-Americans that has gone on in this country since the last 400 years or whatever. Um, But he, by putting it through the eyes of Magneto, you know, maybe a kid that is not interested in poetry reads this and begins to understand some small part of the, the fucked up history of our country. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this poem. I really liked it. And I actually really liked reading it out loud. So I recommend it. Um, but I mean, I think this is just such a, a wonderful marriage. I mean, first of all, Strange Fruit was a song popularized by Billie Holiday, but it was a poem first a couple years before that. So it's also a reference to another poem. But I mean, I think this is changing a lot. But uh, most people think of you know, comic book nerds as like nerdy white boys, but there's like huge traction um, in some of these stories with in communities of color. And like the idea that I love the section in this poem, I imagine what they did, maybe the ability to turn glass into sand, mm-hmm. to hear rustled leaves as mm-hmm. words, something simple, something humans kill for. So to like take the X-Men story that we absolutely all know and to emotionally connect it to the pointlessness of, you know, killing black children and thinking like, well, they're just, you know, they're treated as mutants, they're treated as outsiders, you know, it's, it's a really nice entry into poetry, I think, because we all know both of those narratives, but layered together, it's so emotional and connects with such a huge variety of people and experiences. And I think very interestingly... It's not a superhero; it's a supervillain. Mm-hmm. Yes, I yes. I think that that's essential. You know that the end that the ending is that someone must be the villain for the dead. That it's mm-hmm. Magneto. You know, this isn't this isn't fan. This isn't a, a, a poem that's like I'm Superman. I'm gonna go fight for justice, or I'm a hero. I'm gonna go fight for justice. This is you know when you think about this in the context of like how vilified the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, is an easy mm-hmm. example of like oh yeah, they become villains and in the, the the majority context of our country, unfortunately. Um, and I think that placing himself as the, the, as the supervillain and standing up for uh, the injustice that these kids suffered is a really important component of this poem. And I, I, yeah. I want to read something just really brief. So after reading this poem, I immediately went out and ordered uh, Jackson's book, Missing You Metropolis. And I found this, um, which came out in 2010 from Grey Wolf Press, I should note. I found this thing on the Poetry Poetry Society of America where uh, Jennifer Chang talks about 
um, Jackson's work, and she says, reading Gary Jackson, Gary Jackson's Missing in Metropolis returned me to my one experience with comic books, reading Archie in the sad cacophony of a music school waiting room. I passed the time rolling my eyes at Betty and Veronica, revering the easy indifference of Jughead, and wishing I were older so that I'd never have to take another piano lesson again. But for Jackson, comic books are not merely a lifeline for weird kids. Otherwise, this would not be as good a book as it is. Comic books, their constellated mythologies and fantastical alter egos, evince human complexities, the different ugly truths about ourselves that we'd rather ignore. And they school the book speaker and the bravery of connecting to others and thus to the whole goddamn world. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, wait, so the whole book is about like comic books essentially, or it uses comic books? Yeah, it seems like it. I haven't received the book yet. Um, That's so cool. But it's you know missing you, Metropolis. Um, you know, obviously Metropolis is the uh, the fictional um, home of Superman and Spider Man and all that. Um, so I, I can't wait to see the rest of it. I can't. I can't wait to read it. I might have mentioned this before, but there was a um, you know there's a one of the 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 things at Columbia that you have to do where I went to school, you have to take um, a year long. There's two like things that Columbia is known for. And one, uh, there are two year long courses. The first one you have to take as a freshman, you read all the literature, like from, it's very much like Western canon. So you start with Homer and it takes you all the way up to 20th century fiction and novels. And you read Shakespeare and everything in between, everything in the Western canon. And then you do another year long that's all uh, philosophy and politics, um, starting with you know Plato and Aristotle and moving up. But there was a one teacher that really inspired a lot of the freshmen. I didn't have him, but he used comic books in uh, like alongside all of the mm. uh, the literature literary heroes. So when you're reading about like Achilles and that, like the way that he was, because he was like a, I think he was probably a younger professor, you know, somebody who had was was really trying to study comic books as literary form and like the way, he, you know, the way he connected, especially when it came to like the Greek gods and all the Greek mythology that we were reading was through uh, the superheroes and the comic book characters and like just collapsing those two together, I think is so awesome. And because mm -hmm. it's so true, like they are American myths, like they, the, the, the way that these, these creators thought about them and tapped into uh, our cultural imagination and what we consider heroes and villains is like so parallel to what so many great writers have done in you know every culture. Um, but I think you know using comic books as a launching point for thinking about uh, American cultural tendencies is, and, mm. and like what we define as heroism and villainy is like so important. I think it's yeah. actually one of the essential studies uh, moving forward as a culture. I love the phrase villain for the dead. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I think on my first read, I, I read it as villain of the dead or something like that. Um, but villain for the dead, I mean, it makes the word villain heroic. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's about vengeance, that, not, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. And yeah. being willing to be considered a villain by your culture mm -hmm. or by yeah. you know, the, the, the other people because you're fighting up, for, you're standing up for them. Right. It's it's perfect. I mean, it's it's really. It, yeah. And Gary Jackson doesn't know it yet, but he's going to get invited to come speak at UC Riverside's low residency MFA program. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because, I mean, All right. th this is the kind of poem, and this is why I'm so excited to read the book, that, you know, it, it stretches the boundaries of what we 
normally consider poetry in that it's bringing in that strange pop culture that appeals to a 16 year old or a 15 year old or a 12 year old or a 13 year old and, and that's that line that i think poetry sometimes uh can't cross for young people because there's that that idea that you have to know um you know greek and roman mythology to understand the line no you don't you just need to understand emotion but here what he's doing by tying it into the x-men in this x-men comic is he is using a cultural touchstone that people of today will actually understand that has meaning for them uh, and it doesn't require a uh, a masters in you know roman myth in order to, to get them Right. The word. But it serves the same function, right? Like that's what's yeah. that's what's so important mm-hmm. is like so many of the like, inserting like you know when T. S. Eliot opens up the wasteland with his like what it, I mean it's like you have to you have to know like four languages to understand right. everything about T. S. Eliot. You know like it, the wasteland opens with a poem and one in Sanskrit and then a quote in French and and it's like it's so like. Uh, Hey, you have to be like a well-read, educated Ivy League white person to understand right. this. You know, it's no. like welcome to the club, like the yeah. dusty mm-hmm. library club, and you have to be that in order to even like have access to the poem. And it's like such bullshit because in terms of what the the point, the meaning can be, yeah, like comic book characters are just as meaningful as a Greek god reference in terms of like, you know, maybe there's not as much history there. Mm-hmm. There's only you know eighty years of history as opposed to. A couple thousand, but st- you know, but still, like in terms of reaching for something fantastical to point to and say, like this larger-than-life character that you can understand as a reader or you can connect to, like it's the same process. And um, you know, and if you were writing poetry in you know the time of Greece and you made a reference to a Greek god, it felt about the same. Right. Well, I want to—I both agree with that, and I also want to push back a little bit because there's some like toxic masculinity stuff in this world like nerds i mean like true like comic book geeks and those that like kind of nerd they can also be very exclusionary so like magneto is one reference you know but it can be it could quickly go down the like i know more references than you know super (laughs) obscure route you know that's probably true that's probably true Um, but i guess the attempt this is a good balance yeah Yeah, i i don't disagree i just want to point out like this is not free license to just reference well, the also, shit out all, of everything. Just being referential is not that artistic either. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, exactly. Like going right. down yeah. the rabbit hole of like, our right. committee said to, you know, whatever like obscure references, like that's just one technique. And if you default, you can, you know, a whole poem can collapse under that very easily. And exactly. I think like, you know, that often has happened, you know, but like for me, I think T.S. Eliot is worth it. Like I think you could subtract a lot of his references and still get so much from his poetry, mm-hmm. which is why he's lasted for me and for a lot of readers, I think. Um, but certainly that sort of like, you have to know the secret handshake bullshit, um, is diminished with a comic book reference, I think. Hey, let, let me uh, draw your guys' attention to something just briefly. Um, and, and I want to mention a book, but this is something that um, that Matthew Zapruder talked about in an essay in the New York Times uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, understanding poetry is more straightforward than you think. And Matthew has a new book, and I should note Matthew and I are friends, but uh, Matthew has a new book called Why Poetry that attempts to you know, make sense of why poetry is important today. But he says in the beginning of this essay in the New York Times, which we'll, we'll put up on our various places as well. Do you remember, as I do, how in the classroom, poems were so often taught as if they were riddles 
What is the poet really trying to say here? What is the theme or message of this poem? What does this word purple or flower or grass really mean? Like classical music, poetry has an unfortunate reputation for requiring special training and education to appreciate, which takes readers away from its true strangeness and makes most of us feel as if we haven't studied enough to read it. Yep. I mean, it, perfect. That, and, and that's that's the argument that I think is in, I'm, I'm enjoying Matthew's book and reading it right now. But that that was what he talked about in this big essay in the in the New York Times as well. And I think like that's that that's that line. And we talked about this before with short stories a little bit, I think, of, you know, it doesn't need to be a piece of fine art that you have to have that background of fine art to appreciate. Can't it just be a thing that makes you feel something without that special training? Um, and that's, I mean, as a reader, that's always what I'm looking for. And I think about, you know, that book Gabriel we, we read, which is still the, mm. the, the only time all three of us have cried on an episode. <laughs> mm. um, and the only training you needed for that book of poetry was to be a human being you know yeah well let's keep yeah. going we have a lot a lot yeah, of pumps to talk about one yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you all right it deserves re- time you have to redo the beginning and say we're gonna talk about three poets today <laughs> all right let's talk about naomi shihab nye and her poem kindness which was recommended by our listener emily fine um, i think emily actually recommended kindness as a collection but since we are able to find the poem itself, kindness, uh, that's the one we're going to discuss. Um, Naomi Shihab Nye is, uh, she's the oldest poet uh, on, our, on our collection today. She was born in 1952 in St. Louis. Um, her father is Palestinian, and she actually lived in Palestine for a while, um, and Texas, which is an interesting uh, combination. <laughs> and then she, I, she uh, graduated from uh, Trinity it, which I'm assuming is Trinity Texas. in, um, oh, there's a Trinity in Texas. I think there is. Okay, there you go. Um, so yeah, so she's a well-published poet who's been around for a while, but I have never heard or heard of her or read her stuff. So um, who wants to read Kindness? I will read Kindness, provided I can make sure that cool. my screen scrolls. Okay. Um, okay, this is Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes you sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Mm. 
That's a I love this beautiful poem. Me poem. too. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to, you know, I mean, it's one of these great poems that, like, it's really a, a poem of, 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 of ideas. You know, it's, it's, it's an idea, but then she manages to put so many great images in there and specific things that you take, like, what is kind of kind of an obvious idea, I guess you could say, like, be kind, mm. right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, kindness is something that you should figure out and work on and let guide you through your life. Like, that's, that's really all it is, but it manages to make the concept of kindness completely mm -hmm. fresh and new. And, you know, these images in my head of, like, people on a bus and, and an Indian dead and a poncho on the side of the road, it's like they stay with you um, and just beautiful yeah i mean this is this is very emotional for me right now because as you two know i have a family member in the hospital and i've never really spent a lot of time in hospitals or dealing with these kind of emergency situations and it is a, a truly new experience to you know feel so desperate for someone to be you know, truly kind to mm -hmm. you. And when you hit like a doctor or a, another person in a waiting room or someone in the elevator who just gets it, you know, gets that what exactly what you need. I mean, it is this like my favorite images in this is only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say it is I you have been looking yeah. for, you know, and it's so it's so <laughs> such a terrible dumb thing to say but like it's so true right. <laughs> you know like, when, like you feel like you don't even know what you're looking right. for you're looking at this like huge ocean of feelings and then but when you when it arises you're just like grabbing onto it like a buoy so i don't know i love it and i love that kindness is disembodied from any individual person that mm -hmm. it's something like yeah. floating and various people are offering it um but it's its own nugget of thing that you're looking for and it doesn't cost you anything to give someone some grace and kindness you know like no. it, that's a simple no. human no. act and um when you guys are listening to this episode it will be weeks from the thing that we've been um experiencing lately like this is we're, we're a few days after um the white supremacists marched in charlottesville and um, and that poor woman was killed and the idea of kindness between people and understanding each other, um, but understanding pain, someone else's pain, in order to derive kindness, um, it seems like it seems like such a simple, true thing. But God, it's hard, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, and I just on the 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 strength of the work itself. I mean, you understand from this one poem why this poet, you know is a Lannan fellow and a Guggenheim, um, you know, like you understand yeah. mm -hmm. her ability to convey simple human truth in a poem in a way that no one else can do it. And that's why it's so powerful because you understand it at that human level, but not everyone has that talent to actually put that on the page. Yeah. You know, and I, I am married to the kindest person you are. that probably has ever lived. <laughs> and, you know, and now we manage a company together. And it's really been amazing for me to experience, like, how easy giving kindness actually is and what a, like, selfish act it is for me. And I mean this in a totally positive way. It's like, it feels so wonderful to create, like, 
gentle kindness for someone else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, not like any of our listeners need to hear this, but I think a lot of people feel like I've been recently talking about this with people. Like if people are undergoing some huge tragedy or sorrow or just a really hard time mentally or emotionally, like they think like, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. How can I help? And just truly any, any small act of kindness does. It feels like, it feels like this poem is, describing Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the last paragraph you know it feels like any huge breath of air reason to tie your shoes so you know i would say don't be afraid of it just go for it and can i just say also that the mark of amazing literature is when you read something and you can't believe it didn't exist in your life before the moment you read it yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) and that's how i felt the first time i read this poem three hours ago or whatever which is, God, I wish I had had this poem to turn to over the course of the last 46 years of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is, to go back to the Zepruder book, like, this is basically my favorite kind of poem. It's super direct. You don't feel like you have to outsmart it in some way, mm-hmm. but it still uses ordinary experiences and language to create something that feels absolutely new. Mm-hmm. So there's so many poems like this that I really attach to. So I want to thank the listener that recommended it. Yeah, it's a great one. Definitely. All right, moving on. So now we get to Rupi Kaur, um, who was uh, recommended to us by a listener named Daniel Sevet. Um, and she apparently, after I poked around online, is the top-selling poet in the world. Right Never heard now. of her. She's been on. She's been on the New York Times bestseller list for like something like sixty-seven weeks. Um, she uh, she became very famous, I guess, because she, she's she's one of uh, a new class of poets, I guess you could call them, uh, called like Insta poets. Um, so she started mm-hmm. as an Instagrammer, and she got a lot of attention because she uh, put her on her Instagram feed a photograph of her uh, laying in bed with menstrual blood uh, soaking through her pants and onto the sheets. And Instagram, I guess, had her remove it as part of their policy uh, against offensive uh, photos. And um, she fought that decision and um, got a lot of attention for it. And I think she ultimately won um, against Instagram, you know, got the, the, the tide of public opinion to turn in her favor and get them to reverse their policy. And um, and then she started publishing her poems on Instagram. So by the time she uh, published her book, it was, you know, she already had a huge following. Um, she was born in India, um, but she has grown up mostly in uh, Toronto, Canada. And uh, she graduated from the University of Waterloo in Ontario. And she's still pretty young. I think she's only like 24 years old. Um, <laughs> So we're going to link to 12 or 10 of her poems that we were able to find online because um, they, somebody collected them uh, at the, uh, the odysseyonline.com. Um, I don't, should we read them all or they're very, very mm. short actually. No, let's, a, let's just give a, read a couple of them. You know what we should read first? Since we just read kindness, we should read her poem, Be Kind. That makes sense. Um, I will read that one. I'll be kind. It. All right. Go for it. Uh, be kind. How is it so easy for you to be kind to people, he asked. Milk and honey dripped from my lips as I answered, because people have not been kind to me. Great. I will read the next one, Be Water. 
because I have thoughts and feelings about it. I am water, soft enough to offer life, tough enough to drown it away. Okay. Ryder, you pick one. I'll just read the next one. Uh, don't trust anyone. <laughs> don't That's understand. the entire poem. <laughs> no, don't trust just anyone, sorry. Don't trust just anyone. If I knew what safety looked like, I would have spent less time falling into arms that were not. Okay. Um, and then let's read this, this, this other one, which is called... It doesn't have a title on this link, but it's another poem. It was when I stopped searching for home within others and lifted the foundations of home within myself, I found there were no roots more intimate than those between a mind and body that have decided to be whole. Okay. All right. So I think that's a good yeah. sampling. They're very short poems. They have, they have illustrations too, we should mention. So, if, you know, you could check the link. I'm assuming they're by her. Uh, I was reminded of Shel Silverstein. Do you yeah. guys remember the way Shel Silverstein's poems yeah. looked on the page? Yeah, she's clearly like going for a similar look and feel on the page, which is part of, I think, her whole Instagram, you know, visual uh, thing that she has going for her. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have so many. Yeah, feelings. I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot. Oh, boy. Me too. Okay, let me start. Let me start. Uh, so I I have heard of her because every time I'm in a Barnes & Noble and I don't... For some reason, I live in a fucking bookstore wasteland. So <laughs> mostly the only bookstores available to me are Barnes & Noble. So I feel horrible about it, but that's where I often end up. And this book has been like in the end cap area um, which in bookstore lingo means like it's on the end of an aisle, um, just in Barnes and Noble forever. And it says like top selling poet or, you know, for people who love poetry. And I did not look up any like critical work or whatever. I just I've like five times picked it up being like, oh, I like to keep up with the zeitgeist of whatever. And I should read more poetry. And then I will open it and I'll read one poem and then. Then I'll be like, I, okay, and then I'll put it back. So I, and that is the most I have engaged with this, and I felt kind of out of it for never buying it. But now that I've read a bunch of these, I feel like I understand what's going on, and I also am very critical of these poems. So I didn't know the Instagram thing until you said it just now, Ryder. Um, and that makes total sense to me. So this is a young woman who is, you know, she's been in some tough relationships. She's been in abusive situations, it seems like. And she's built a huge following um, from this, like, frank, very, very emotional um, point of view. And all of that I am totally on board for. I love that she's a young poet. I love that she's embracing this kind of identity but, I mean, it has to be said that these poems are so cliche, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know how to respond to them. While, while you were reading them, it reminded me, this is probably the harshest thing I've ever said on the podcast. Like, it reminded me when I was working at the Mark Twain house, when I was an intern, one of my jobs was to go on the internet and find fake Mark Twain quotes. <laughs> because, 
people would people would just like write these cheesy cheesy things and then write Mark Twain. Right. It's like writing the Bible or Shakespeare right. or something. And then I would go and be like you're incorrect. This is just a ridiculously empty quote. And that is exactly what this reminds me of. It's like the ideas and the emotions behind it and the idea of a young female poet being so successful, I'm so into, but I just wish that there was some original imagery in here. I mean, it's it's really disappointing because I think I think that this book is titled Milk and Honey because the phrase milk and honey is the only descriptive image in these poems. You know, uh, otherwise, (laughs) otherwise, it's just it's it's a literal description of emotion. And I I don't want to deny the people who love and connect with these poems that experience um, because it is so powerful. And obviously, a lot of people connect with this. But right. Well, that's what's not, hard about being critical. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel the same way. Like I'm like the idea that a poet is on the New York Times bestseller list and that, uh, you know, that young people, especially like teenagers and uh, girls like reading poetry. I'm so stoked um, because poetry is dying. Right. Like poetry has been dying since the 1930s or whatever. Like it's not like something people do. They don't sit around discussing poetry, reading poetry. I mean, I guess, you know, besides spoken word and slam poetry, which has had a, 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 a renaissance of sorts. I just it's I'm so stoked that 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 like something like Instagram has brought poetry back into the world. Well, let, but... Let's not forget also that Claudia Rankine's uh, citizen took over the world in 2014. Like that was the mm-hmm. major book of 2014 was Claudia Rankine's Citizen. I know mm, nothing about it to be honest. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. It yeah. Sounds great. So it's you live po- in a different world than so that you was know, a you live in a literary world. Really well. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's both criticism and poetry. Uh, it's about the um, the experience of being an African-American citizen in America in the 21st century. Um, Yeah, but Todd, if you walked up to someone on the street who's not in your normal world and said, name five living poets, do you think they could do it? Uh, No. (laughs) But if you said, but if you said, name five living writers, I think, you know, a lot of people could do it, even if those writers were J.K. Rowling or whatever. Five living singers, you know, um, Of course, yeah. But I mean, like isolating poetry as, you know, I don't want to say it's dying. I feel like you probably raised a lot of hackles there, Ryder. But it has become more niche. Um, And I agree with you. It's exciting to see someone kind of break, break back through. Well, I feel like poetry at this point is like visual art. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, once you've, once you've, I mean, it's, it's something that was spent so long being... Uh, codified and sort of defined by a certain form and a certain set of rules and expectations and being performed or and or uh, written or painted by a certain group of people um, and then all those rules got dismantled and broken down you know over centuries in wonderful ways the form completely opened up until now you know anybody can call anything a poem which is great that's the point right it's yeah. like it's a wide yeah. open um but what that means is that it become it, it's 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 a matter of taste then it's like a ma- it's like such a it's a more abstract art form that needs to be defined and argued over and sort of um defended 
and um, it's it's an inter- it's an interesting process. Like it's just not yeah. um, it's not as easy as like a novel where it's like you can measure it by its success. Like a novel is successful because you liked reading it, you got you know you got the story, and you walked away and you told a friend to read it too. Whereas like I think poetry. Um, if you know, I think it, it it's beholden on us, like in our position right here, as people who are you know hosting a literary podcast, to defend what we think poetry is or is not, because um, we have to enter that conversation because it, that's what part of poetry is right now. Um, and like, what's interesting about this is like, I want to celebrate the popularity of a poet, but this is drivel. It's nonsense. This is not poetry. You know, like. And, and I want to take a stand and say that because um, because that's what we're doing here, right? Like, that's the exercise right, of poetry right. is, like, to, to take stands. And um, so what I think this is is, like, the idea of poetry being marketed and the idea of being poetic, um, which, like... Yeah. You know, I, yeah. Think that, I think that what she's capitalizing on, not... I mean, obviously capitalizing, not in a negative sense, like she's, she's tapping into, I'll say, is the idea that like reading something economical, like reading something short that can make you feel something and that like a short chain of words can like twist your thinking in like a little bit, little new way. Like that is like a sort of like that, that's poetic, right? Like that's the essence of poetry. And I feel like that's kind of all she's doing is like, is like giving you that sense of like, oh, right. Like this is a poem. This is a there's something poetic is being felt something that somebody's feeling something really intensely somewhere. And, and in this like short chain of words, like I was able to like get the sense of that. You know what um, though? It, it's also, it, I understand why it is popular with 16 year olds. If that's who's buying right. her mm-hmm. book, because right. it is a digestible thing that they can put on their Instagram and they can put mm-hmm. on their Facebook right. and they can, they can read it aloud on Snapchat in five seconds, and it speaks to some larger emotion that they, that maybe they don't yet even have the wisdom to process, but they understand right. thematically that this this poet is explaining the things that they're going through. Um, and in that way, I think you know it, it sort of reminds me of singers and songwriters, where you hear yeah. a song when you're 15 or 16 years old, and it has such a profound effect on you, and then you read the lyrics at some later point, it's just a really bad, you know, poem. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, but, yeah. but those, but those lyrics and I think Ruby Kaior's poetry too, could be gateways. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I know sure. that I listened to lyrics and devoured them. And then of course that got me into poetry at the age of 13, yeah. you know, when I heard things and I needed to like, why did that person say it that way? And I thought that was poetic. And then, I think that what like led me directly to reading poetry, um, and I, I mean, I'm hoping that that's what happens here is that this this Instagram audience that is so huge, you know, dives into like, I mean, I think anybody that 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 likes Rupi Kaur would love Kindness, the last poem. Right? Read. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, exactly. There actually, yeah. is, like Kindness or, to me yeah. is like the good version of what she's trying to do. Yes. Or even yes. you know, if if you read these little bursts of poetry, these little five line things that she's writing. And then someone says, oh, my God, I read Natalie Diaz's When My Brother Was an Aztec. You should read that because right. it's narrative also. Yeah. And then you read right. Natalie Diaz and it changes your entire worldview and you can't even right. speak, you know, like right. so it's the difference yeah. I think, between um, between having a McDonald's cheeseburger and filet mignon, you know, there's there's <laughs> there's something to be said for something that satisfies you when you're hungry and there's something to be said that satisfies you when you're hungry and makes you appreci- appreciate the artistry of the person cooking it. Okay. 
Yeah, and I mean, I have an even more basic issue with this is that I feel like I totally agree with everything you guys are saying, and I think that this will kind of be a rebirth for a certain group of people of thinking about poetry in a new way. But what I really don't like is this is so pure, raw emotion that I feel like by tying it to poetry and saying like, well, this is poetry, this is like deep, it takes emotion out of the realm of like ordinary speech and life. You know what right. I mean? It's like, I want people to speak this emotionally all the time. You know what I mean? This, it, emotion should not be ghettoized to poetry. Right. That's my problem wow. is like, it is, that is really, and I work with a lot of teenagers and a lot of teenagers like use poetry in school to like express things that they can't or you know in their journals or whatever um to express things like this and it's so powerful for me because it's like part of a process of learning how to articulate and describe their emotions and self self-worth but I hate the idea that saying like these kind of feelings belong in a poetry book and that's what they are you know what I mean they they belong in your life (laughs) you know so here here's where i have stopped reading matthew's book um last night and this is amazing paragraph i haven't read the rest of the chapter but what you're saying is this thing that he's talking about which is we have all read poems that rhyme or that have line breaks or that exhibit some other kind of signifier that what we are reading is a poem and thought to ourselves there is nothing here I feel nothing. We feel this nothingness not because we don't know enough about poetry or because we're missing the key or the code. We feel this way because there's no poetry in this poetry, no movement of the mind that is surprising mm. but also true. Yes. Like, that's that thing. Like, but you know what? I recognize the emotion, but there's nothing in that emotion in, the, in those poems that makes me feel any different than I've ever felt before. Kindness makes you feel different. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just want to say the signifier now, which is all over these poems and all over the writing of a lot of people that I like and interact with here who are a little bit younger than me is lowercase letters. Right. So I'm, it's, it's interesting and it's cool to look at, but at that point, like at this point, that has entered the realm of like I am a poet. Look, I, oh yeah, I'm well, not that's capitalizing. been around. I I, I right. wrote poetry like that when I was fourteen too. Sure. It was it was no. It, it's <laughs> yeah. I remember. And that, and and then I would also do like I would I, whenever I would print my poems out, I'd print them out. Um, like I would type them on a typewriter in lowercase because like you know typewriter words looked more like yeah. Well, I'm just being honest. Like that's why this yeah. is so. I know. And, like it, yeah, it's you know. Todd has 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 his face in his hands right now. That, well, you know, it's like the E. e. Cummins thing too. You know, like yeah. I mean, it, there's there's yeah. It's like once you indicate poeticness, poet poet you know, then you've done your job and then you express something. But if you just express things in abstract terms, like I felt this and then I felt that and then I was hurt by this or I changed to feel this. It's like, well, that's not, that's not poetry. The job of the poet is to 
to convey those things in an interesting new way that only could be you know conveyed with the new the, the way that you rejuvenated language or or changed that or or had me feel what you're trying to say without you just telling me how you were feeling like just yeah. expressing right. your feelings in abstract terms is is like that's that's I don't know what that is. That's just I did this. I'm I'm here. You know. Well, I mean, I think you know. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what it is. It's someone saying on their Facebook page, "This is gonna be a very important post." It's probably one of those posts I'll never make again. Right. Yeah. But here it is. <laughs> You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Well. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I think like, oh, what was I gonna say? Well, first I was thinking, you know, I. Just when he said E. Cummings, it also reminded me, you know, one of my favorite poets is Bell Hooks. And she used, you know, a lack of uh, uppercasing as a literally a political act. Oh, this is what I was going to say. And that, you know, Bell Hooks's poetry and E. Cummings poetry is very, very brave. And I think this is why um, people are connecting with these is they feel like some of these statements or feelings are extremely brave and actually the instagram blood story i find more compelling than these poems Uh, as an actual work of art like you actually look at the photograph and there's something kind of like whoa and i i think that is still her greatest accomplishment as an artist and you Mm -hmm. know that that yeah that photograph is is is, it still has even though i knew what to expect when i saw it it's like oh wow that's actually just a great photograph um and yeah. so yeah, you know, it has and I feel like and- that feels brave in a way that other poetry feels brave to me. And these poems don't feel risky to me from where I am in my life. You know, I wouldn't want to say that to anyone else who feels stunned by them. Um, but you know what I mean? Like they don't, they feel like they know, okay, these poems know they're talking to a huge amount of people. They're not talking to a specific, like, focused piece of experience. They're they're meant to to go so wide that they won't say anything that would cause any kind of pain or doubt in anyone. You know what I mean? Well, but I mean, we've not read her entire book, obviously. That's true. You're right. You're right. You're right. These ten poems. So good point. From our small sample size that we're looking at. I think that's true. But let me let me just say one uh, important thing. That any single person who is writing poetry and putting it out there into the actual world to be judged uh, is a brave human being. You're right. <laughs> um, you know. True. Th- this by its nature, you know, the 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 poetry that she is writing is confessional um, and it is personal and she didn't do it for economic gain before, you know, she's just putting it online. Um, you know, there, there is something really admirable about a person starting out and saying, I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to say these things that I feel and I don't give a fuck. And that is the genesis of what is going to become, I feel, an even better poet. You know, this is a person yeah. who does not give a fuck. And not giving a fuck is a, a good way to say important things um, that need to be said. Well said. 